in the morning. The Yule log is supposed to burn for the 12 days of Christmas, but that would involve something the size of a Canadian redwood, so we were making do with one of the victims of Professor Rapson's log-rolling experiment, the one back in the autumn, when it had become sadly apparent there wasn't a lumberjack among us and Bashford had nearly drowned. We do this every year, the Yule log, I mean, not the lumberjack thing, Dr. Bairstow has the chimney swept ready, and we have the Yule Log Ceremony, which basically is not a lot different from the May Day Ceremony, or the St. George's Day Ceremony, or Halloween, or Bonfire Night, in that it involves lots of alcohol and someone usually gets hurt. Anyway, the whole place was a hive of activity, into which I would be roped if I wasn't careful, so I made my way back to the one place I knew no work would be happening, my office. Rosie Lee was clearing her desk and preparing to depart for the day. Seeing me, she said, Well, I'm off, and waited for me to say I wondered what the smell was, but it was Christmas and I was filled with goodwill for all mankind, even this specific specimen of womankind. Oh, before I forget, she pulled out a small present wrapped in red paper. Oh, I said, touched. Thank you so much. You shouldn't have. I didn't she said, heading for the door. It's for Matthew. Honour compelled me at least to try for the last word. Where's the 1536 file? In your tray. And Doggerland? On your desk. And the professor's report on top drawer. She smirked briefly and slammed the door behind her. Two books fell off my bookshelf. I sighed again and yanked open the top drawer to find a small package wrapped in gold foil and bearing the label to Max, Merry Christmas, David, Rosie and Benjamin. I would have felt extremely guilty, except that when she opened her bag for her bus fare home, she'd find a similar small package labelled to Rosie, Merry Christmas, Leon, Max and Matthew. Revenge is sweet. Now that the reason for having to set a good example had left for the holidays, there was no need for me even to pretend to continue working, With the exception of Dr. Bairstow and Mrs. Partridge, I was probably the only person still at her desk anyway, and that was bad for my image. So I gave it up and trotted off to wait for Leon and Matthew instead. I wasn't sure at that moment of my exact status. You hear of single-parent families where one of the partners isn't around for some reason, but as far as I know, no one has invented a word for the sole remaining member of a family where 50% of the parents and 100% of the kids are living in the future. Alone seemed too depressing a word for it, but I was, and had been for some time. These days it was just me. Leon and Matthew were both living with the time police, Leon for medical reasons and Matthew for his own safety. They were, however, returning for Christmas, and Cal was coming down from Thursk, too. St Mary's likes to gather its chicks for special occasions. I got to Hawking Hanger half an hour early, but that was okay because Dita made me a cup of tea while I waited. Christmas had arrived here as well. All the pods were in and were heavily festooned with seasonal black and yellow hazard tape. Someone had spray-snowed Father Christmases and snowflakes all over the windows of Leon's office, and, far from taking advantage of the seasonal lull to give the pods a thorough servicing, the entire technical section, together with Polly Perkins from IT and Miss Lingos from R&D, today's hair was a frosty, glittering pale blue, were working on a life-sized mechanical Rudolph, whose nose was refusing to glow. 
my helpful suggestions were ignored. I finished my tea and wandered outside. The weather was unseasonably warm. I didn't even need a jacket. There would be no white Christmas this year. I made a mental note to ensure Professor Rapson's snowmaking machine was mysteriously unavailable. Last year it had gone into overdrive and pumped out unbelievable amounts of white stuff, which had spontaneously combusted on contact with the air, and the smell of burned rubber had been with us until May. The time police turned up exactly on time. Their small black pod materialised just outside of Hawking. The door opened, and Leon and Matthew, hand in hand, stepped out. They turned and waved to someone inside. The pod disappeared. I walked into Leon's arms, very carefully so as not to overbalance him. He could walk, but only slowly and with a stick. He, Ian Guthrie and Markham, had crash-landed in Constantinople.